Welcome to the Revolution of Interdependence podcast. My name is Will Sampson. I'm a social scientist who guides executives and companies to new levels of growth. If you want to improve your life all by yourself, look, that's your business. But if you want help from others, that's our business. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping each other succeed. We do that by inviting people into a growing revolution of interdependence. So let's get into today's podcast. Well, welcome to another episode of the Revolution of Interdependence. I'm excited about this guy. I get to interview Dion Brown today. I'll tell you who he is in just a second, but I'm excited because we've had conversations. I was actually on his uh, show and I love his energy, his enthusiasm, his love for people is very clear. And so I think whatever we're going to get today are going to be great gems um, and nuggets of wisdom. So let me tell you a little bit about Dion before we get started. So Dion is a market strategist. He's been able to work with some really great companies, companies like Adidas and Keller Williams, crafted amazing brands, amazing campaigns for their brands. A lot of his work, I, I love this he will tell you that a lot of his work is done in, in conjunction with sort of building a sense of communal and cultural responsibility around brands. Right now, most of his work is coaching businesses and entrepreneurs, helping them focus on how to create amazing personal brands. And that led him to several projects, Project Big Brand, his, his Man uh, versus Brand uh, podcast, and we'll talk about all of them. But first, Dion, welcome. Hey, thank you, Will, for having me. Uh, thank you, audience, for listening in. Uh, I had the pleasure of having Will on my podcast, uh, so I know what type of value he's bringing you guys. So I am excited and really honored to be included in the fold of individuals that are able to share with you. Thank you. So here's the first question we ask all of our guests, which is, yep. because we're a revolution of interdependence, we always ask people to tell us some story of interdependence, someone, it can be a person, a group, somebody that made the difference for you. Well, my story is uh, probably and possibly different than what the traditional answer would be, right? And, and, and I, I've gotten the opportunity to listen to some of your episodes. So um, I, I'm not going to share a teacher or someone, I'm going to share my grandfather, uh, my grandfather was raised in um, uh, crop sharing, um, segregated North Carolina. Uh, he is currently 91, right? So he celebrated his 91 years of life, uh, but he also came with a lot of struggle. Um, he left home uh, before he hit his teenage years, um, basically kicked out of his small town um, and he moved to New York approximately 11-ish, uh, and uh, he wasn't educated. He right. had a horse fall on him when he was younger than 11, so he spent much of his life in hospitals alone while his family worked, and then eventually was kicked out of his town and moved to New York. Well, that made a pretty resilient, right. headstrong, stubborn, illiterate, savvy, emotionally intelligent man it also made him hard and right. and rigorous and right. disciplined uh in the way that a child wouldn't understand now to give a bit of context well uh my parents died 
both of them passed by the time I was uh, about 10. So I think my grandfather saw in me a lot of what his struggles were because he was parentless uh, trying to figure out life. And so um, he imprinted on me like, uh, parent animals and children do to one another, right? So he became a father figure, but he also came with all of the trauma, all of the success, all of the hard work, all of the struggle that came with his life journey. Yeah. And so um, we had this very interdependent relationship. Like he would ask me every time he drove me to school, who loved you? Who loves you most of all? And I know this is going to sound, this is going to sound a, a little odd to your audience, right. but again, I, I preface this by saying he lived on his own. He had multiple houses. He was able to provide for an entire family that included my mother, my aunt, my cousins, myself, his wife. Um, he had another child in another relationship, provided for all of us fantastically. Um, but he used to ask me who loves him or who loves me more than all. And as a kid, nine you know, eight, I would say him, I would say my mom, I would say my grandmother. And he would give me a smack, not like a hard smack, but a corrective like tap. And he goes, no one is going to love you as much as you love yourself. And this was like a game that we used to play where I would forget that the tap came when I named someone else and I was looking for approval. So I would say a name that I thought at that age would get me approval and he would correct me every time. He would also do two other things that I want to mention that I think is great. And then um, that shows you sort of our relationship. He only asked me yes or no questions because he felt that life demands of you clarity. So he wasn't a person who wanted wanted explanations. He wasn't a person who wanted you to excuse an activity or uh, to affirm an activity. He just wanted to know, did it occur or did it not occur? And if it did not occur, then do it. If it did occur, then great. And that, that is how he approached uh, question and answer. Uh, and then lastly, he would tell me every day I left for school uh, up until I went to boarding school. He, he funded me going to boarding school um, into going to a top 10 university. I went to Emory University. Um, and so he's very much the reason for my success. Uh, but he would ask me or he would tell me, um, don't take any wooden nickels. And he grew up in the Great Depression. And so he was a shoeshine boy and they would give wooden nickels as fake currency. And it also served as a way of explaining, understand your self-worth, understand um, what your value is, even as a child. And so uh, he tapped me to show me that I needed to love myself. He asked me questions and only expected yes or no answers to take accountability for what had or had not been done. And he taught me a valuable lesson around uh, value. Uh, and that came from a hardened man who I probably only saw cry once when my mother passed um, and when his wife passed uh, or twice when my mother passed, and when his wife passed and who isn't wasn't really big on hugs until he entered his 90s. But I, I always knew he loved me. I always knew I loved him. And uh, he's very much uh, the person who I attribute so much of what I understand life and the empathy that I have around people who struggle through life, who are an advantage, who don't have opportunities, uh, because I had a grandfather who was illiterate, but who who amassed uh, a massive amount of wealth, both in family, in friends, and in, in financial resources, 
um, due to his own tenacity and his way of approaching life. Wow, that's a great answer. Thank you. How does it, how did that, so how does he affect the way you show up in the world? Like when you think of how you show up in the world, where do, where do you carry forward? I mean, I, I am super disciplined. I am like, I am ultra disciplined. I also expect a lot um, out of the people that I work with, out of friendships, but I also give a lot. Um, I understand that there is a relationship of reciprocity where reciprocity isn't equal. Like I couldn't give my grandfather a house to live in. I couldn't give him college tuition, um, right. but I could give him, um, I could give him pride. I could give him an affirmation that the hard work that he put in would reap results in the way that I lived my life. And I don't live my life for my grandfather, but I understand that that there's some level of ROI and investment. And in relationships, regardless of the type of relationships that you're in, if someone's investing in you, they shouldn't expect ROI. But if you're in that relationship for the long haul, there should be some level of ROI. And again, it doesn't have to be transactional or reciprocal in the same way that they do it, but you should be as equally committed to investing in them and understanding what, what matters and values to them so that you can return what they're investing in you back. And so, so much of, of who I am and, and my curiosity about life came from him. Another reason, just to just to uh, put this in perspective, is that because he was functionally illiterate up until I think about his 50s, um, he would listen to the radio um, all the time. He would watch the news and listen to the radio. And so um, he would be like, watch and listen to the radio with me. Like that would be our, our, right. our, our time together, right? Um, he would make me play Jeopardy and answer the, the, the questions for him so that he so that I could beat the contestants because he right. wanted to know how much I learned in school because he couldn't read the homework, but he could measure how well I'm doing by how much I understood about the world. So what that created in me was this broad sense of curiosity, this broad sense of awareness, not only of my existence, but of the ecosystem of citizenship that 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 exists in the world like i would be listening to the you know the the war in saudi arabia but i would also be listening to a sports game and we would just i would be ingesting all of this information which meant that i understood that the world was bigger than the things that surrounded me and it was my duty to go see it i love it i love it so let's talk about your journey as a brand strategist. Let's start there. How did you tell, tell us how you got into the idea of helping with, the, with branding, helping build brands? What, what motivated you to be interested in that and that as a profession? Absolutely. So uh, there were two instances that I think really um, shaped my understanding of why I wanted to, to go into branding specifically. Uh, I grew up in New York, in East New York, which was a very undeveloped uh, part of New York. Uh, it's in Brooklyn. Uh, it's beautiful. It's community. Um, it, uh, it is very diverse in the people that are there. And it existed in a space where um, we didn't really understand concepts like racism or classism uh, because we were all sort of under the same economic umbrella. Right. So we all were sort of in it, kind of figuring it out. Right. Uh, 
what that also meant was that money very much influenced status and the understanding of, of what people's lives were, right? So what that meant is, is that there was this massive run to consume, to consume Nike, to consume uh, any product by Nintendo, to consume clothing, luxury items, right? This is a time period where music was very much um, influencing fashion, influencing um, innovation, influencing culture. And I was always really interested in the fanaticism around it because oddly, I was an only child. So I didn't really have to share very much with anyone. Um, by the time that I was really cognizant of my life, my parents had died. And so um, I had an active imagination. I didn't really, I got Nintendos, but didn't really care much for them. I got the systems, I got the sneakers, but I was very much a kid who existed in my own head. Like I had this whole world that I created and I was very much happy to exist in that world. That's not to say I didn't have friends. I was very popular uh, when it came to social networking, but I very much didn't need much in order for me to feel content. And I was always interested in why other people seem to need so much. I was the type of guy that like, my parents would be like, your budget for sneakers is $50. And I would find the most creative sneakers for $50. Right. I had friends who would cry and say, but I want the sneakers that are $120. And, and it, yeah. Exactly, right? And so I was always like, this is interesting to me, right? And I would see the billboards, but I would never see the brands, right? Like that was always interesting to me. I would see a Michael Jordan, who I had the pleasure of working with Nike uh, at one point and getting to meet uh, when I was in the Northwest. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I just never got to see these people. They didn't come to East New York. They weren't there with us, but we, we associated with their brands as if they were having one-on-one -on -one conversations with us. So that's one. The second is a little funnier. I was uh, for a, a while... Um, supporting the social chair of my fraternity, Pi Kappa Alpha, go Pike. Um, and so um, I got approached by uh, a liquor brand uh, to do some work with them. They were like, you seem really cool. You seem like a nice guy. Um, you want to work with us, right? And so I had this idea that I wanted to do brands. And even as a youngster, I remember saying, I want to learn about brands and why people want to buy them, right? I want to know about consumer insights. And then in college, I got an opportunity to actually do it. And that led me down a path. So I started in brand representation. Then I moved into consumer insights. I moved into uh, PR, then out of home, which is billboards. I then moved into digital, then social media, then wow. creative direction, uh, then uh, website development, then focused specifically on e-commerce then focused on brick and mortar, converting into a digital space, uh, which got me into restaurants, uh, tourism, eventually into real estate. I became, uh, and my agency became um, agency of record for Keller Williams in New York after doing some work with brands like Compass uh, and Douglas Elliman. Uh, and then eventually I ran a Keller Williams office as CEO 
And, um, and I then returned after that into helping people and businesses to uh, be smarter about uh, things like lead generation, how they run their company and what their expectations are uh, and what they're doing. And so that is my journey. It started out as a, as a kid who just wanted to throw really cool fraternity parties uh, in college and who uh, remembered being young and looking at giant sized uh, Michael Jordan billboards uh, around his, uh, his borough and thinking that would be really cool to get into. I love it. And now you're running Project Big Brand. Yes. So let's, talk, let's talk about that. Let's start there. So Project Big Brand is one of those things, and I don't know, you know, your listeners may understand this a bit. There's sometimes where you get an idea and the idea is consistently iterated, Will, like throughout your, your process, right? So Project Brick Brand was very much about brands and brand development and brand design. And, and, and then I realized that a big brand wasn't really just about marketing programs and PR and design. To, to have a big brand is really to understand the financials of your company, um, to align uh, your company's value system to uh, the individuals and employees uh, that you have at that company. Uh, a lot of it is about talking to folks who are decision makers and affirming their decision making ability, right? A lot of entrepreneurs um, started out with friends, then brought in other people, then uh, the company has now exploded and they're questioning, you know, how do I move it to the next level and am I capable of doing that thing? And so a lot of what we work on on Project Big Brand, sort of twofold. One is to consult and to coach uh, companies and entrepreneurs on what their business objectives are. Oftentimes blending like business coaching with life coaching, because a lot of it, you know, as you know, companies are run by people. So if your people aren't uh, aligned with your business goals, then your business goals will never happen. Right. Or you got to you got to replace the people. Right. Um, the other thing that we do is put together teams so that uh, if you don't have an in-house team that can facilitate a need. Uh, then an in-house team can be brought in for you. So maybe, you know, you have an audit coming up and you need some forensic accounting done. Maybe uh, you uh, have a website that you need developed and uh, you have a great design person, but you don't have good developers. So really be able to put together teams by understanding what the business objectives are, what the goals are, and then how that person can facilitate or that in, or those individuals can facilitate that need. Yeah. Yeah. I love that approach. I love that approach. You know, I, I do work with um, corporations that are trying to change their culture, but it's often true that the culture is getting held up by just an inability to deliver on some of those really basic needs that, that are required. So that's really good. That's really great work. Yeah, man. Listen, I think, I think what, what you find oftentimes is three key elements. So guys, if I can give you uh, three things super quick. If you're an entrepreneur right now, the first thing is listen. Yeah. Bring your team and listen. Don't respond. Don't react. Hear them. Hear them and see them. Allow them to feel acknowledged. So much of, of what is probably happening in your company can be defined by people who love your company and who don't like it so much. 
Uh, you can get truth from both parties, right? You're, you're just looking for a spectrum and you start to then figure out what feels right, what feels wrong. So that's one. Two is assessments are your friends. There are assessments out there that can give you ideas on personality types. Maybe you're asking a person who has a type A personality or, you know, if you're doing the Meyer Briggs, there's so many of them, right, uh, that you can do um disc assessments that'll tell you what's their what's their um team style what's their individual style what's their supervision style what's their employee style maybe the style that you're approaching that person with is not the style that resonates well with them and therefore you guys are both communicating but in essence you're speaking different languages therefore you're not connecting on key points. Now it's easy to say, well, you work for me, you need to work in my style. But the question is, do you understand your style? Do right. you understand how people see you? Do you understand what your approach is? Because if you haven't done assessments for your team, it's likely you haven't done an assessment for yourself and you don't quite know how you're being interpreted and consumed by others. Right. Third thing is action. Yeah. Don't promise action and don't deliver action. There's nothing worse than a promise that goes unfulfilled. And, and that all comes down to communication. Uh, if you're communicating, if you're communicating goals that you believe in, a value system that you support and that you role model, and a mission that people can get behind with, you can say, hey, we want to double our revenue next year. And you can plot out a way to get it. And even if you don't get it, they'll see that you led the work to do it. And so you become less um, benchmark oriented and more growth in the process oriented. And people will create and believe in your universe because the key to having great talent and hitting good goals is that your universe has to encompass all of the people that you work with. When their universe becomes larger than yours, then the, you no longer have their buy-in. Yeah, I love that. Listen, make assessment assessments your friends and have a bias for action. I love those three points. And I particularly resonated. You said you were talking about how often leaders don't know themselves and the leaders just simply say, well, you need to do this. You need to conform to the way I've structured it. And that may have worked at some point in the past, but at least the clients I work with are so desperate for talent. Like they can't recruit people, especially in the IT space. They can't recruit the people they want. And so that that idea that where a leader could just say, well, you need to conform to how it is and that's, you know, deal with it or leave, they're leaving. <laughs> and then they can't hire it. They can't hire the, the people that they need. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of that is transparency. Oftentimes, leaders can double as gatekeepers, right? Yeah. Like if you want someone to be invested in your business, then they need to understand your business. Right. And they need to not understand your business just from the way that you perceive it, right. but from the way that others perceive it. So if you want to retain great talent, then you're in, if you want to retain great talent, then you need to allow them to be talented, right? right? You need to find the spaces in which they flourish and then consistently look for opportunities for them to grow. The other thing is in your interview process, you can't just allow an HR person, if you have one or yourself or your assistant to be the only interview person. You right. have to bring in a vendor, bring right. in a team member, like bring in people that you know are invested, but don't necessarily hold the same perspective as you to have a conversation with who you're considering hiring so that you get a wide 
spectrum of opinion and that you're not um, sideswiped by this idea that this person doesn't work well with others because they only work well with you because they have committed themselves to not working with your company, but to working with you as an individual. And so you may have a great opinion of them, but no one else on your team does, which will then drop your efficacy. Right, right, right. So I love the way you've taken your experience with some of these large brands, these brands we, we know about, you know, elite premier brands, and you're now uh, helping to coach businesses, to coach entrepreneurs. A lot of the people listening to this are entrepreneurs and they're trying to figure out how to how to create this entrepreneurial journey and especially focusing on, on interdependence, but just generally how to how to create this entrepreneurial journey. So I'd love for you to sort of like dip back into all those years of corporate experience and talk to these that solo entrepreneur, the, the woman trying to run a side hustle on this, uh, you know, who's trying to get her side hustle off the ground, the weekend, the weekend webinar warrior, you know, talk to them and say what and help them understand what can they learn from all the great brands that you've worked with. So regardless, and first, let me just say that's a great question. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, for every brand yeah. that I've ever worked with, time, money, resources. So always come down to time, to money, to resources. Right. Specifically, how you spend your time, right? So, so you show me how you spend your day and I'll show you how you spend your life. Yeah. Quote. Yeah. How you spend, how your business spends its day I can show you how successful your business is projecting itself to be. Right. Are you focused on working in your business, replying to emails, answering stuff, or on your business, which is scale, right? right. Who, who, who is owning parts of the business and do they need to be micromanaged or are they really delivering on what they're supposed to deliver on? Right. A great way of combining two concepts, and I'll get to money in a sec, is are you paying high salary, low bonus, or mid-salary, high bonus? No. Bonuses tend to incentivize people to hit benchmarks. Right. If you are working with a small team, if you're you know, working on your own uh, and you're looking to hire someone, think about a lower salary a high uh, bonus compensation that can be clearly articulated, that has very clear benchmarks for right. when the, the bonuses kick in. Yeah. What this does is it keeps your cost upfront low, but it also pays out once the things that you need to accomplish are hit. So a lot of folks say, I need to get great talent. I need to pay them 125 grand. And then you're like, well, why are my expenses so high, but my, my uh, revenue so low? Well, you might have some people that are sitting there collecting 120,000. That's not to say that's everyone, but if you're not in that position to spend that sort of money and that thing doesn't um, affect your P and L sheet, profit and loss sheet, then maybe you need to think about reconstructing the way that you look at how people spend their time. Um, the other thing is money. 
Yeah. Uh, we uh, oftentimes as, as individuals, specifically as entrepreneurs, we um, d- don't necessarily inherently have a great relationship with money. Um, not only because we have been socialized to fear money, to overspend money, right. to um, not invest money, but we oftentimes become so excited about our idea that we spend money on untested um, concepts. We just dump money into it. There's an idea called minimally viable product, MVP. What it says is is that people don't really need to fully understand your concept in order to tell you whether they'll buy into it. For instance, Mm -hmm. Will, I tell you, hey man, I want to develop an app. An app is something that sits on your phone. You'll be able to access it. And that app, you'll be able to order a car. You no longer have to wait on the side of the road for a taxi. You'll know what the person looks like. You'll have a profile for them and a rating system. You'll know the license plate so you can identify the car, the make, the model. It will tell you how long uh, it will take to get there. It will show you the route in which you'll take to get there. And it'll give you a firm price on how much it costs. You can accept that price or you can wait and use another rider. If you have more people than what that car suggests it can hold, you can then upgrade to a larger vehicle. Would that be of interest to you? Uber, right? Uber, like don't, you don't need it. You don't need Uber Eats. You don't need Uber delivery. You don't need all of it. You need, now I know I can invest money in this Because I understand that there's a market for this, right? right? Oftentimes as entrepreneur, we believe that everything is so revolutionary. The way that we're going to do it is so special that we don't do enough uh, conversing with our intended market or the people that don't love us, not the people that love us. People love us going to say it's great. The people that don't love us, people that don't know us, the people that are not invested in us and ask them, hey, listen, if I pitch this to you, is this something that you think would be useful? And if not, Give me three names of other people, always ask for referrals, that this might be useful for. I promise you, this will save you money. Right. First was saving you time. Second will save you money. Third is resources. Leverage, leverage, leverage. Find resources. Resources could be interdependence. It could be a network of individuals that are specialists. It could be software. It could be programs. Uh, It can be platforms. Um, There's so much there. Like if you can't hire an assistant, look at a virtual assistant. Uh, If you don't know how to run a project, there's um, tools like Asana for project management. So, So focus on how you spend your time, how you spend your money, and, 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 and how you utilize resources. And I promise you, uh, it's what all of the large companies are learning. Oftentimes they don't know it because they tend to be so cash uh, heavy that right. they spend it until they realize that they don't have any more. And then that's when you hear these massive cuts happening, these massive layoffs, these, the closing of stores, right? So yeah. be focused on your PL. Don't be afraid of looking at your money. Don't be afraid of uh, analyzing time spent and don't be afraid to say, hey, listen, we may need a better solution than what we currently have in order to get things done. I love it. And I love the idea of how we spend our days is how we build our companies, which is just what you laid out for us. And that's beautiful. Um, 
as we so we're moving to the end and i want you to just give people a chance to to um find out how they can interact with you how they can connect with you if they want to hire you if they want to listen to your podcast tell us more because there, that was just some great like i'm bummed that we're gonna we're gonna end because there was so much good stuff coming out tell us tell folks how they can get more of you well first i want to say this um before I even get into how to reach me, uh, I want to talk to you guys a bit about what I'm experiencing right now. Listen, if you are hearing my voice, I want you to stop for a second, pause this, go to whatever platform you're on and looking and listening to this and give a like, share this out. Uh, a revolution of interdependence is such a necessary and needed conversation that before I even tell you how to reach me, I want you to do some actions for Will. Uh, it takes time, energy, effort, not just to do these, but to put them in post-production, to get them out, to get them marketed. And, 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 and as a podcaster, I know the work that happens. So if you can give a rating, if you can write um, a comment, a recommendation, you can share this out. It does so much, not only to affirm the value of the podcast, but also to affirm the individual behind the podcast, just to know that you appreciate it. So before I talk about me, stop for a second, pause this wherever you're at and go do something nice for Will because he's doing something nice for you guys. So that's that. So to, to talk about me now, because I love talking about me, um, you can find me. I am Dion Brown, D-E-E-O-N-B-R-O-W-N. I have a website, DionBrown.com. There's projectbigbrand.com. I do have a, a podcast. It's called Man Versus Brand, M-A-N-V-E-R-S-U-S-B-R-A-N-D. Um, I am on uh, all forms of social media. Uh, so uh, please find me there. Uh, I am uh, right now in the process of developing a more robust YouTube and LinkedIn presence. So uh, if you guys are out there and you're listening and you're like, hey, I want to do, you know, some business coaching and have that thing taped, or I want to listen to uh, the podcast or engage in Dion, please hit me up. Tell me that you met me through this podcast. Mention Will, uh, just so I know that I can give him that feedback that you guys are, are hearing him, you're listening and you're engaged and ask me anything. Um, I don't do like free consultations. I do relationship building. So in that process, you got a question for me, you want to talk something out, um, I'll shoot you some times that I'm available. We'll talk it out. And we'll see what type of relationship we can build together. I love it. I love it. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for this master class of, of genius on, on entrepreneurship, marketing, branding. And thanks for being here, Dion. This was so great. It was everything I hoped it would be. And I'm so excited to share this with my audience. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And listen, guys, just to let you know, uh, we tried to plan this earlier. It didn't happen due to technical difficulty. And Will was such a kind, generous person with his time and rescheduling this. So not only is he just an amazing guy, but he's an advocate for you guys. So I hope you guys are showing him much love and appreciation because I know I appreciate this man a lot. All right, brother. Thank you. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Have a great one.
All right. Thanks to everyone who joined me today. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, can you share it with one person in your world today and help me get the word out? And if you like what you heard here, you can sign up for my weekly insights. It's just a short bit of wisdom that comes out once a week. And to do that, head over to willsampson.com and sign up for the newsletter. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Will Sampson Change Coach. Please hit the subscribe button below to be notified of the latest episode. Thanks, everyone. And I will see you the next time on the Revolution of Interdependence podcast.